0: Well, this morning we're beginning the, uh, the study of the Ten Commandments, beginning with the First Commandment. And the most amazing thing about this week is how, as I was going through this commandment, I did not want to study this commandment. Because the more I studied it, the more I recognized how God was placing upon me a burden that I could not in myself continue to keep. I began to realize that as I was studying this, tenth, this first commandment of the Ten, that it is the pinnacle commandment. It sets the tone. It influences the rest of them in their understanding. And more importantly, it leads us into the knowledge of God, which in all truthfulness is something that humanity does not welcome. You'll say, Well, what do you mean by that? Well, let, let's pray and let's begin to ask God to speak to us. Let's pray together. Father, as we come into your presence, in your presence, that we sing. It is for you that we lift our voice in praise. We do not come to be entertained, but to glorify and worship and extol the name of Jesus. And so, as we have come in this place, we ask now that you would teach us, Oh God, how can we love you? How, how do we love a God we cannot touch or see or hear with our ears? And yet you speak to men and women even today. And so therefore Holy Spirit tune my heart to hear the Lord as He speaks to us through His Word. And we ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together well, we, we know what the first commandment is, but if you go back to the Genesis, uh, Exodus 20 and you begin to look at this, you find that God has an important introduction that leads into the first commandment. Beginning with verse 1, I invite you to hear the word of God. And God spoke all these words. Wait a minute. Who spoke them? God. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the Word of God. God. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't often go to the symphony. I was given tickets by a friend, and Cindy and I actually went to see the Charlotte Symphony. I don't know if you've had a chance to do that in the Belk Theater, but it is absolutely a wonderful occasion because as we got there, uh, we got in these wonderful seats. We had balcony seats. Can you believe this? I could have reached out on the stage and touched people. It was just it was unbelievable. I don't think I'll ever have any experience like that again in my life. But there I was standing or sitting in a box seat almost being able to hand a cheeseburger to the to the orchestra as they were as they were coming on stage. And as they came on stage, they started to unpack their instruments. And then I thought, "Oh boy, here comes the fun." And then without any prompting, each member of the orchestra grabbed their instruments and began to play. Have you experienced that? It's the most chaotic moment in life. Every one of them, and they were playing their own instrument, but no one was playing together. So it just sounded like, well, I guess you would call it modern art. It just sounded modern. And as you sat there listening to it, the whole thing that went through your mind was, we, we got seats for this. And then, amazingly, at the right time and at the right moment every one of those musicians stood while a single individual director walked onto the stage and people in the audience began to clap, obviously being relieved that somebody was going to stop that music. (laughs) And as he took a bow and turned to the orchestra they were seated once again, grabbing their instruments, attentively looking at him. And then he raised his arms and single-handedly led that rowdy bunch of noisemakers into the most sublime, beautiful music I have ever heard. I thought long and hard about that. If you were to put a picture to the first commandment, that would be the picture that I think might fit the best. Because when we look at our world and we see the chaotic lifestyle that our nation is in, we see the confusion and and unhappiness that we go through in our own lives, we begin to think there's got to be something better. And as we go into the Ten Commandments, one of the things that God does as He begins to reveal to us not how our lives should be, but who He is. And as we come to know Him and know who our God is, our life begins to begin, or I should, say, I should say that our life begins to sound sweeter and our lives begin to become richer, but only because we know who God is. When you and I begin to look at this passage and we look at what God says... You shall have no other gods. There's an important background here. And the obvious question is these are God's people. They've been in Egypt in slavery. Remember they got there because Joseph had rescued them from famine in the end of Genesis. He had brought them there. He was the one who provided and God provided through Joseph to to feed his people and preserve them through a tremendous difficult period of life. Much like the the time we're going through with this pandemic, that God did things to preserve his people. So why would God, after taking them out of Egypt, have to remind them who he is? Why would he have to do that? And the obvious answer is because first and foremost, that they were brought into Egypt. They came willingly. But while they were there, they were living in the most powerful nation at that time, and they were being ruled by one man named a pharaoh who actually believed he was a god. And not only that, while they were there, they were thrown into slavery because they had grown in population so great that the Egyptians feared them. Feared them so greatly that they said, we have to take care of this population problem. And even worse than that when they were in slavery in that land of Egypt the most amazing thing was that God had to bring them out of that land in order to deliver them not just from the slavery that they were under but from the oppression that they knew as they were in a culture that did not know the one true God. You say, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean they didn't know the one true God? Well, when you think of polytheism, polytheism is the worship of many gods, and the most amazing thing about Egypt is that they surpassed all the nations of the world with the numbers of gods that they worshipped. They worshipped gods of their own creation. What do I mean? Well, though God had created the world and made it and fashioned and formed it, Egyptians had formed gods of their imaginations that included gods of the fields and the rivers, gods of light and darkness, gods of sun and and storm, gods of love and gods of war. And if you were to walk through the the cities of Egypt and look at the way in which they worshipped, you would see unusual figures because they were They were of the imagination of people who thought of their God or their gods and bowed down and worshipped their God or their gods as they made them in the form of men and beasts. You know, everywhere in the world, no matter what region of the world you go to, no matter the history of the people involved, if you dig down deep into their religion you will find that their gods always resemble either humans or what God had created. Paul talks about this in Romans. He said, instead of acknowledging God and giving glory to God and worshiping Him, man gave them, or humanity gave themselves over to the imaginations of their minds and created gods out of the things that God created. And so for... Generations, the Egyptians had been exposed to this in such measure that they even began to worship these idols, these gods. In fact, all the way to even the prophet Ezekiel, God had to speak through his prophets centuries later to his people. Put away your idols that you knew in Egypt. You mean they still held on to them? Oh, yes. You see, the real problem with our understanding of God is we, we find God such a mystery and He's so great and so powerful and Almighty God knows and sees and is able to do all His holy will. We're uncomfortable with that kind of God. We need a God that we can control. We need a God that we can somehow manipulate and ask Him to do our will, not Thy will be done. And so as these people came out of Egypt and were being delivered, they weren't just being delivered from slavery. They were being delivered from an oppression of false belief, of lies that they had held on to about who God is. And so God took his stand and he stood against these gods of the Egyptians and He gave directive to a people that they were to stand against every false deity, past, present, and future. I don't know about you, but I think that's a real learning exercise, isn't it? One of the things we do learn is what doesn't work, and then when we find what works, we're real happy. What was it Edison said? He said after they failed in the attempt to create the light bulb and his assistants threw up their hands in exasperations and he said to Edison, Well, we've tried a thousand things. And Edison said, Yes, and we know a thousand things that don't work. Let's find the thing that does. Well, interestingly enough, when God put down his finger for the Israelites to remember that he is God and he said, You shall have no other gods, he was putting down not just a criteria for the people of Israel but humanity as a whole that there is one God the one true God and he told the Egyptians you are to understand that you are to make me your God well why would he say that because still in the world there were others throughout the world that bowed down and worshipped to idols but even more they did not make the Lord their God their God our God The most amazing question then becomes today in our culture, how can we be so narrow-minded as Christians to say that our God is the one true God? How or what gives God the permission, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the right to make this kind of demand? And the answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? He is God. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the one who's sovereign over all things. And because of that you and I have to begin to dig into that truth that if God's command is based on what He is and uh, God's command of having no other gods is based upon two principles. That is who He is and what He has done. Who He is and what He has done. Well, Well, who is He? Well, we've talked about already that He's the God who's sovereign and created the world and all that's in it, the sun and the moon and the stars. We know this from his revelation that he is the one who made them, not these gods of Egypt. And that more importantly, this God shows his glory by when those plagues that were put upon the Egyptians. You remember the ten plagues? They were actually battles that God was waging upon the thought of the idols in Egypt. And every one of those plagues showed the Egyptians how their gods were futile, impotent, unable to save. God was displaying his glory to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. What's the song by... You don't pull on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. And you don't mess around with Jim. Yeah, yeah. You don't mess around with God. Now here's the problem. We do. You do. Say, I haven't messed around with God. Do you acknowledge Him as the Lord, the Sovereign of heaven and earth? the only true God? You see, in our day, we, we want to massage that in such a way that we want to say, well, there are, there are people who are sincere. They worship sincerely their God. Well, let me tell you, that's a very dangerous place to go because the minute you say that, you're giving legitimacy to the God they worship. And let me, let me just remind you, our God, our God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. The second thing that's important about God who, who has based His commandment to us that he, sh- he says we should have no other gods is not only who He is, it's what He's done. God alone redeems and saves His people. God alone redeems and saves His people. I, I don't how to use this illustration this morning and I don't want to offend anyone who has any branch of, of faith or religion apart from Christianity. But let me ask you, what religions bring redemption and salvation? When you talk to the Muslim and you ask him, how do you know when you're saved? They say, when you have done enough. And when you say, well how much is that? And they simply answer, when it's enough. That kind of of expression in God led people to behead others. It led people to, to drive planes into towers in New York. That kind of belief in that kind of God is a belief that says if you do not repent you die at my hand now please don't misunderstand me I am not in any way telling you that Muslims are wicked evil people that you cannot trust them or love them or be around them I am not saying that but what I am saying is what the Quran teaches about God is not about the one true God Why is that? They're sincere. They care. They can even be loving. Well ultimately it goes back to this commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. I I, I struggle with this because I know people who, who I care for deeply. Who in the life that they live, they have a form of religion, but it does not deliver a power to save. It does not give a way of redemption. It does not bring forgiveness of sins. It simply brings more demands and more ways in which you must earn your salvation. And it is so far from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you and I begin to think of this whole business of no other God's Not only does God have the right to say that he should be alone worshipped as the one true God, he demonstrates this not only because he redeems and saves his people, he wants those who hear him and know him to recognize and know him as that one true God in such ways that he forbids forbids believing anything else. This would include atheism. You may know people who who are your dear family members or friends who say, "I don't believe there is a God." It is astounding to me how many people, when they go off and earn degrees in religion, in colleges and seminaries, they come out with this view that maybe there really isn't a God. And the most ama- most amazing criteria for determining this is looking at the revelation that that revelation God. There is no other God but me, the one true God, and therefore to deny me is a transgression of this commandment. When you look in the Psalms and you see the way the Hebrews wrote about this, they said, said, why do the nations rage and why do they struggle and fight against God? Why do they do that? Because of sin. You see, that is the real problem that... the First commandment reveals, we want to be God. You don't believe it? Well, we did a survey this church to determine how best to supply worship services. And we asked people, we asked them one simple question, would you mind for an hour? And people said, no, I don't mind that at all. And the second question was, if we mandated you wearing a mask, what would your response be? Do you know what almost everyone said? Well, I'm not coming if you mandate it. What's going on? We don't like to be told what to do. It, it, it reminds me of the story I heard of a, of a wife who had a husband who just, he, he was directionally challenged. Now, wives, don't point your fingers at your husbands this morning. But every time he got in the car, he drove thinking he knew exactly where he was going, and they end up getting lost every time. And his wife would tenderly, kindly look at her husband and say, Honey, uh, why don't you just stop and ask somebody how to get there? And he said, I can figure this out. And I asked her, Well, how did you take care of the problem? She said, Oh, it was really easy. Well, what did you do? I bought a GPS, a Garmin. I said, how did that solve the problem? She said, well, he'll listen to the Garmin. And it has a female voice. (laughs) And I thought I started to think about that. I thought, how many times in my own marriage has my wife come to me and seen what is so obviously needing help with and I have become so resistant to her help? Well, this is the result of what we call the sinful human heart. You see, what the first commandment reveals is not just that God is the one true God. It reveals that in each of us, within the depths of our heart, lies a string of rebellion that does not want to acknowledge God or worship God or yield to God. I believe, and I could be wrong, that this is one of the reasons why in the last decade we have seen the removal of the Ten Commandments from public places. Because when you display the public, to the public the Ten Commandments, it is a reminder of this one truth, that there is one true God. And everyone will give answer to Him. Everyone. Quite powerful, isn't it? It also includes those who are agnostic who say, well, I just, I don't know if there is a God. Well, the heavens declare the glory of God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. All of these come from the scriptures, but they, they indicate the, the fallacy of anyone who, who is alive and looks at what life is about and how life unfolds that they don't begin to... F- face the question that there is some being that has created everything. For the longest time we were taught and we were, expl- we were told that our origin the human species came by chance through evolution and then suddenly they, dis- they discovered DNA. D- do you know what DNA is? It's, it's, a, it's a strand that defines who you are and it has a code and it's unique to each one of you. And the most amazing thing they have discovered in this DNA strand is that the more they dig into it, the more complex and amazing it is. And it shows that there is design, there is intelligence behind whoever created us. And scientists are befuddled as to what to do, at least those who don't believe in God. When you talk to them about where all creation came from, they said, well, it came from matter that just produced other things. In fact, one of the the great atheists of our day has written a book talking about how, how the world has come into its form, and he talks about that somewhere back in prehistory, long before the ages, there must have been some molecule or some alien influence from another world that deposited some kind of intelligence into this world. Do you hear this? Why it takes more faith to believe that than to believe that there is one true God. Then finally it includes idolatry. What is that? Well, I like to think of idolatry as making God less than He is or making myself more than I am. Let me repeat that. I like to think of idolatry in a definition that it makes God less than who He truly is and making myself more than I truly am. Well, what do I mean by that? It really means that I use my imagination instead of looking to how God has revealed Himself. And that's why the Bible becomes so important because it is a record of God's revelation. And as I read it and as I absorb it I begin to understand and know this one true God who saved not only His people from Egypt but who continued that work of salvation by sending His Son into the world. So when you and I begin to think of this first commandment, the first commandment requires us to know and to recognize God as the only true God. If that's true then the obvious question is why then do we worship Jesus? In fact us talk about this and they say only one true god then why do you believe that Jesus is the son of god and by the way we don't believe Jesus is just the son of god we believe he's also god the son so the answer to that really is in the scriptures and as you look you'll find passages like this from colossians 1:19 through 20 paul says for god the one true god will needs to have all to dwell in him meaning jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you hear that? And so when I talk to a, a Mormon who in a God, he doesn't believe in the God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in the way you and I think of it. He believes that Jesus and Satan were brothers and both sons of God. And Jesus has simply come into the world to show us how to get to God through our works, through living a good life. This is not who God is. He's not the one true God being represented. And so the New Testament over and over again begins to reveal that this one true God is first able to claim that because of who He is, the Creator of heaven and earth of all things, visible and invisible. And secondly, because he's the God who redeems and saves. This is the one true God. And this is the God we are to know and acknowledge. It is through Jesus Christ that a person can truly, is truly able to know and recognize the one true God. When we were at yesterday, they were examining the pastor. And in that examination, they asked a very simple question, but it is profound in its, its meaning. The question was Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation? Why do we ask that question? Surely we must know that, right? No, within the church today, my friends, there are many who are are compromising the knowledge of the real God by suggesting there may be other ways to find forgiveness for our sins and to be redeemed from the hellishness of this world. When these men answered the question, you could tell in their hearts and their minds that they were convinced of it. The other question that went through my mind was a question that elders and deacons have to answer when they're ordained. Will you uphold the gospel and its truths even in the threat of losing your own life? We're coming to days like that where as a church we're going to be tested as to who is the one true God who is our God and how do we make him known through who he is and what he has done for us the most amazing part of what we're dealing with as we go through the rest of the Ten Commandments is the other three follow this one by teaching us how to love God. Remember? When Jesus was asked, what is the sum of the Ten Commandments? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And as like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first four commandments teach us how to love God. And the way the first commandment teaches us is that we are to know knowledge. That God, our God, the God of our Father, the God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He is the one. Writes in Romans, for I am not ashamed of that. For it is the power of God given under men and women, whereby we must be saved. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men and women must be saved. Any denial of that truth, any compromise of that statement, is a violation of the law of God. You say, Robert, I I don't know if I can live up to that. You can't without the help of Christ. You cannot love God without God helping you to know Him. And in the next three commandments, we're going to learn more of how to do that. Let us pray. Our Father, if you are the one true God, then there is no other God but you. And every other God is simply an idol fashioned by human hands. There's so much more to discover in this passage. There's so much more to understand. And it is so challenging because you're... Your commandments will not allow us to compromise on who you are. And so as we come into your presence as your people, I I want to admit to you, Lord, I don't know you in the way that you want me to. I, I am incapable of knowing you without your help, and therefore how grateful we are that you have answered that need through sending Christ into the world And that through Christ, we have reconciliation with you. That we have the forgiveness of sins. That you claim us as your own. And so as we go through this year of 2021, God, teach me. Teach me, O Lord, how to acknowledge you as the one true God. And to honor you and glorify your name. Do not let the idolatry of my heart lead me astray or allow me to compromise in my love for you. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together.